Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5 with me. For those that might be listening to this sermon or not part of this assembly today, I encourage you to go read John chapter 10 verses 9 through 11, which we have read. I encourage you to go and read the 23rd Psalm, where David describes manifold blessings of God being his shepherd even while he was in this world, and though he faced difficult circumstances, the Lord caused his cup to run over. And I encourage you to to go online and find the song Marching to Zion by Isaac Watts and read all of its verses and see a man's testimony from 300 years ago who believed the same things we believe. My brethren, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Run to Him. Take a hold of His ankles. Call upon Him for mercy. Ask Him to save you. I don't mean so much to save you from hell. I mean ask Him to save you from the discouragement, disillusionment, distraction, and defeat of this world. Ask Him to feed you and to take you to green pastures and still waters. Ask Him to prepare a table before you. Ask Him to anoint your head with oil and to fill your cup. He will do so. He will do so. But if you have shown an infatuation with the cup of this world, if you are more interested in the pastures of this world, He will let you feed on that brown refuse. He will let you drink from their poisoned wells. And it will cost you your life in this world. And there's no evidence of any world to come for you except of eternal torment. Make the Lord your shepherd this day, and let us rejoice in Him. The good shepherd layeth down his life for the sheep. Jesus has died for His flock. The Father gave Him the sheep. John chapter 10, verses 26 through 29 tell us, And Jesus will not lose a single one of them, and no man is able to pluck them out of the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose right hand is a right hand of power and might, and no man is able to pluck them out of His Father's hand either. You are safe in Christ's hand and in the Father's hand in John chapter 10. If you're the sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can know that by believing on Him, because John 10.26 says, But ye believe not, because ye are not of My sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. That is the good shepherd. The good shepherd wants to save us from the bondage, discouragement, defeat of devilish religion that focuses everywhere else except on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are churches that are worshiping right now with praise bands and light shows of a rock concert. Brookwood and the World Redemption Center have been put in second place and third place. It's now New Spring out of Anderson. Ridiculous rock show that it is. You can go online if you want to see if whether I'm misrepresenting them and type in New Spring and read about this church that has exploded to 8,000 members. 
they would say that they're happy. And they are. They're as happy as reprobates can get in this life. But I want to tell you something that the Word of God tells me. The Word of God tells me that the truly righteous, the elect of God, who have a quickened soul and who love the things of God, would starve to death in five minutes in that joint. The Bible tells me that. That they make the heart of the righteous sad. And they make the heart of the wicked glad. Because there's no preaching against sin in a place like that. Go watch their clips. I've spent hours over the last two weeks there and in other churches just for my spiritual entertainment and to be re-provoked by the God of heaven to be an Elijah in the perilous times of the last days and to declare against all these church growth gurus and all the inventions of men to get the worldly, unregenerate into the house of God, supposedly, and entertain them. If the righteous, though, hear a message of doctrine about the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, their hearts rejoice because that's what feeds their souls. That is a green pasture to an elect child of God that's born again by the Spirit of God. They don't want the world's entertainment brought into the church. They want God's Word exalted in the church. And there's that huge difference. Do never forget. Never forget it. Look, look at Ezekiel 13.22 with me in case you're wondering where do you find such things. Ezekiel 13.22 You say, are you, are you t- trying to tell us that every person at New Spring is a child of the devil on their way to hell? No, not every single one of them. Most of them. A child of God couldn't be content there. Some of them will be. They, they are the ones that will not endure sound doctrine. Second Timothy chapter four, verses three and four. They want entertainment. They want something to scratch their itching lusts, according to that passage. Look at the word of God. Ezekiel 13 verse 22. Because with lies ye have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad. The gospel makes the hearts of the righteous Glad, But with lies ye have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad, and strengthened the hands of the wicked, that he should not return from his wicked way by promising him life. When there's a service with a big praise band and a lot of noise and a lot of entertainment, and the wicked can go home, confirm that they're okay. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. No, you're not okay. Prepare to meet thy God is what the Bible would say. When that kind of a message takes place, the wicked are strengthened that they will not repent. And the righteous are saddened because they know that's not the truth. But when the Word of God is preached, the righteous are made glad because they see in it a wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. A wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock where rivers of Help me. Pleasure, I see. Strike me dead, Lord God, if I don't preach that message the way it's supposed to be preached, and I compromise and preach the false message of Ezekiel 13.22. 
They make the hearts of the righteous sad, and they make the hands of the wicked strong. It is modern Christianity, perfect description of it. They wouldn't dare preach against any sin. He can't dare preach against any sin the way the Bible does. It would cut his congregation in half in one week, and if he kept it up, it would cut it in half the next week, and if he kept it up in eight weeks, they would close their doors. Well, they'd be in debt the third week, but you know what I mean. I was being merciful and charitable. Something you didn't know I could do. Romans chapter 5. We must stand and earnestly contend for the faith once delivered for the saints. We must preach the word according to 2 Timothy 4 and be instant in season and out of season. Insistent, pressing, and urgent. We must seek for the old paths wherein is the good way. Lord, help us. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, being justified. Justification is over for the moment. It was described in the last half of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4. For the moment, it's now history. Therefore, being justified. The apostle is telling you, set justification aside for the moment, and let's look at some blessings that come to us from justification through the Lord Jesus Christ that should make our cup run over. Therefore, being justified by faith and not by the works of the law is to be understood. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There are five blessings. I hope I have taught them well enough and will teach them well enough today that you will not forget the five blessings in Romans 5, 1 through 5, that we are to rejoice in now. And if you're not rejoicing in them, and if you're not anticipating them, it's because your heart isn't right. It's not because there's a lack in these first five verses. It's because your heart isn't right to understand them or to appreciate them. You are too enamored with the world to be excited about these things. These things are wonderful. The first is peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me remind you that the poor Jews could never have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that Romans 4 and 3 and 2 were arguing against the false hopes of the Jews in Moses' religion. But in Moses' religion, according to Hebrews chapter 10, what does it tell us about the purpose of their sacrifices? Was the purpose of their sacrifices to put away sin or to make a remembrance of sin? Since you didn't answer, we'll turn there. Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to know exactly the huge difference between the Old Testament and the New. I want you to be thankful for the Old Testament, but to be much more thankful for the New. If David could say his cup runneth over in the Old, what should we say in the New? Knowing that through Jesus Christ our Lord, we... Have, not shall have, we have, not shall have at the day of judgment, we have peace, peace, precious peace with God. Peace. Look at Hebrews 10. For the law having a shadow of good things to come. What are the good things to come? 
Hope. The New Testament. The Old Testament, the Law of Moses, was just a shadow. A shadow doesn't have very many details. It's not very sharp. It's not very graphic of the good thing that creates the shadow. The law, the Old Testament, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshipers, once purged, should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again, made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Now do you get my point? We have peace with God. The Jews of the Old Testament didn't have peace with God. Every day of atonement was a very sober and very serious, the biggest holiday of the year for the, in the Jewish calendar. And that was to have that high priest go into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the sins of the people. But guess what? They had to do it again the next year. And the next year. They did not have peace with God like we have peace with God. Therefore, being justified by faith and not by the works of the law, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Does that peace affect your life? There is no reason to be afraid. God is now your friend. He has reconciled you to Himself. He is your friend. There is no more enmity. There's no more war. The war's over. Lay down your arms. You know, up until 10 or 15 years ago, they kept finding lost soldiers in the jungles of the Philippines and other places who thought the war was still waging. Now, now wouldn't that be terrible? That in 1990, you finally stumble upon some civilization and find out that the war's over? I'm talking about World War II, not Vietnam. I'm talking about World War II. To have lived for 45 years without knowing the war is over. Do you know why the gospel is called the gospel of peace? Because it is the good news and glad tidings of peace with God. The war is over. He was at war with us. We were, we were held by the claims of divine justice and would be destroyed by the eternal God, the great and dreadful God of the heavens. But he made peace through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why it is called the gospel of peace. Justification declares us righteous so that our sins are put away and we have the righteousness of Christ upon us. In that condition, and because of that condition, God looks at us, accepts us, approves us, and desires our friendship and fellowship. That is the peace with God. It is the first practical blessing that flows out of the legal peace that we have through the work of Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 Therefore, being justified by faith, justification being a settled fact that I have proved in chapters 3 and 4, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have peace with God, then you can boldly go to Him at any time. You can run to Him. And He will accept you. The, the war is gone. The strife is over. God is angry with the wicked every day. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. But there is peace to us. He is at peace. Will you be at peace? If you're unsure of your salvation or you're afraid of God, you're not yet at peace. There's no fear where there's real peace understood. Peace has been purchased. 
The war is over. We are told in the Bible to fear God, but that fear of God is perfectly compatible with peace. Because that fear is not a slavish terror of a dreadful being, but a reverential awe and respect and desire to please a heavenly Father. The fear of God taught in the Bible and the peace of God are perfectly compatible. But there is a fear that causes men to run and hide in the trees of the garden. There is a fear that causes men to sow fig leaves together thinking they can cover their guilt and shame. But that fear does not know the peace of God yet. Jesus Christ has already clothed you. Run to Him. Don't hide in those trees any longer. Run to Him. Embrace Him. He will embrace you in His arms. According to that song we sing. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is not the easiest task. Sermons could be preached, and maybe should be, on every one of these five things. And I have made a choice to try not to do that. Though I have done it in the outline that sits before me. They're too good to have a cup run over, to have a table prepared before us in the presence of our enemies. The devil can bark and belch all he wants. Those are Bible words. The devil can bark and belch all he wants, but my Lord Jesus Christ has prepared a table before me in the presence of all my enemies. He has triumphed openly over the devil, and he's celebrating 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 18. All things are of God. Amen. Who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. God took, used the Lord Jesus Christ to make peace with his elect. And then he ordained apostles to go and have the ministry. They ministered or served papers. The New Testament that declared the reconciliation a completed fact. Verse 19, to wit, we get an explanation of that 18th verse. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. God's ministers bring the news of reconciliation that has already been completed by Jesus Christ. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. This morning, I am his ambassador, reading the words from another ambassador, and preaching to you, God is reconciled. You be reconciled in your mind toward God. God is at peace with you. Be at peace. Don't doubt a thing. The peace has been purchased. Lay hold of it and believe it by faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder He's called the God of peace. No wonder the Lord Jesus Christ is called the Prince of Peace. No wonder the Lord Jesus Christ was made after the order of Melchizedek who was the king of Salem, who was the king of peace. Verse 2, Romans chapter 5. 
what should that peace do to you? Should that peace affect you just a little bit, that you want to live in peace with all men? So as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God. James chapter 3, 14 through 17. Don't lie against the truth. If you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, that wisdom comes from beneath. The wisdom that comes from above loves to make peace. Why? Because God has made peace with us. If he's made peace with us who owed 10,000 talents, why can't we make peace with others who have only cost us 100 pence? Verse 2 of Romans chapter 5. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. By whom? That is the Lord Jesus Christ from the first verse. By whom also. Notice it's not just peace with God. The apostle, by the use of not only so, and also is going to stitch together five blessings from the cross of Christ that we are to enjoy now. There is peace with God now. We can go boldly into His presence. It's open wide for us. The veil was rent. It is finished. The Savior cried out, Peace has been purchased and accomplished like the prophet Haggai had announced in Haggai 2.9 about that second temple of the Jews. But there's more. So we have the adverb also, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Faith opens a door for further blessings in this life. Jesus is the door. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ allows us to go in and out and find pasture. If you don't believe, or if your faith is overthrown, or if your faith is weak, you lose these blessings that he's about to describe. We stand in grace. That grace is fellowship with God. Look at 1 John chapter 1 that you read last Saturday in preparation for last Sunday. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3, That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. Why, John, are you writing? 1 John 1, 3, That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. This was the ministry of the apostles of Jesus Christ, to help God's elect have fellowship with God. Look at this wonderful verse. That ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly, our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. That is why we have First John, that is why we have the New Testament, and that is why we have Romans 5 too by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. What is the grace wherein we stand? Not the grace in which we shall stand. We want to stand in that day of judgment. But Paul is not talking about that day of judgment, nor standing in that day of judgment. He is talking about standing presently. We stand in a realm of grace right now. We sang about it in Marching to Zion. That while there are great heavenly sweets to come, there are wonderful pleasures now in this world. We stand presently in a realm of grace, and for it should we should be so thankful. Fellowship with the God of heaven. God loving me, accepting me, approving me, and talking to me, and communicating with me, and comforting me, 
And I, in turn, blessing and praising and thanking him and telling him all my needs, and he hears every single one of them. Fellowship with God. Who's the priest between you and this God? The Lord Jesus Christ, but you're the priest. You're the refined sons of Levi, according to Malachi 3. Revelation 1 says he's made us kings and priests unto our God. You are the king and priest. You're a royal priesthood. You can go right into the presence of God because you stand in a realm of grace purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also, by whom, whom? The Lord Jesus Christ of verse 1. It's by Him, but it's by your faith that you have access into it. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ has opened up the way to God, then you are going to pray ineffectually because you won't pray boldly. He tells us to come to the throne of grace boldly. If you don't go boldly, you're going to be an ineffectual prayer warrior. You won't be a warrior at all. You'll be a prayer retiree. And it's all because of your lack of faith. Faith learns these things, believes these things, understands these things, and acts on the basis of these things. And without faith, you lose. There's access available, but you're not running through the open door, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the pasture, and then back into the fold, then out to pasture, then back into the fold of the Lord Jesus by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Let me bore you with Hebrews 12. I speak as a fool. Hebrews 12, let me read three verses. Brother Gerald alluded to them in his prayer. We stand unique in the earth, blessed in the earth, Did you enjoy singing Isaac Watts' words, the favorites of God, rather than the children of God? The favorites of God. By whom also the Lord Jesus paid for it, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. We can go in and out through the door of the sheep, the Lord Jesus Christ, and find pasture and an abundant life spiritually now, before we get to heaven. A passage that I have referred to many times, which crushes the millennial kingdom ideas of those who want Jerusalem reestablished on earth as God's place of worship, here is what God said to the Jews about their expectation and hope. And it was a present reality, not a future possibility. 22 through 24. Hebrews 12. But ye, speaking to Hebrew Christians, which also applies to us because God has built again the tabernacle of David with Gentiles, according to Acts 15. But ye are come, not shall come. Brethren, look at this in order for me to give you a definition of what it means that we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand presently. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, the mountain upon which Jerusalem was built, and unto the city of the living God, where God himself, the living God of the Bible, dwells. The heavenly Jerusalem, not an earthly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, 
to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. All our brethren who have died before us under both testaments are there with the Lord Jesus Christ, which are written in heaven. They're the ones with their names in the book of life. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, but it's not the sprinkling of animals that speaketh better things than that of Abel. I know it's a long sentence. It's three verses, but that is one of the descriptions in the New Testament of the grace wherein we stand. Not where we shall stand. Ye are come. The only thing that can change is that you die and your spirit gets to transition in this passage from being on earth in fellowship with the spirits of just men made perfect to being one of the spirits of just men made perfect. That is all death is. It's a transition and to get rid of this flesh and to get out of this world into a better world. Is that a decent grace right there? Wherein we stand by faith. If the Hebrew Christians did not hold fast the profession of their faith, what was going to happen? They were going to go back to Moses' religion. Zion in this world, Jerusalem in this world, and the blood of animals. And they would lose the rest for their souls, described in chapter 4. So the whole epistle is to exhort those Hebrews, don't look backward. Understand what your blessings are in Christ Jesus right now. And that's what we should be doing as well. Oh, brethren, how can we have joy unspeakable and full of glory in this world? By faith. Taking advantage of all those things purchased for us by the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We could preach a long time on every one of these. And we could go from Bible expression to Bible expression and describe them. God indwells those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If any man believe on me and keep my commandments, my Father and I will come and dwell with him. John chapter 14, 15, 16. That's an incredible, wonderful blessing. It's taken advantage of by faith. We have access to that blessing by faith. Purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, so you know the passage. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. That's verse 17. And if you practice a separate religion that the Lord Jesus Christ calls us to in this passage by a number of different descriptive statements, He has seven precious promises right here. Seven precious promises. The last half of verse 16. I will dwell in them. If we, a plural pronoun of believing saints of Jesus Christ, will practice separated religion and not compromise what God has given us in His wholesome words through Jesus Christ and His apostles, God will dwell in them. God will come and dwell in our church and dwell in us. I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 17, the last clause, I will receive you. Verse 18, 
I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. This is not the recipe for regeneration. This is not the conditions for election or justification. This is written to saints that if they would live a separated life from false religion and from the world's entanglements, God will come to them in seven different ways and be in them, walk with them, receive them, be their God, be their Father, and they'll be His sons and daughters. And how do we have access to this? How can we lay hold of it? By whom also we have access by faith into this grace. That is gracious dealings with us Gentiles. To let God be our God and to receive us and to to dwell in us and with us and walk with us and make us His sons and daughters. This is a practical relationship of sonship with the Almighty God of Heaven. Do you know how excited Paul got as the Holy Spirit filled his tongue with words? Look at the first verse of the next chapter. For those of you who know me, you know that I can't read these last verses of 6 without going to the first verse of chapter 7. Having, therefore, these Promises, dearly beloved. What promises? The seven I just gave you. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. If those seven things in the last five verses of chapter 6 are dependent upon our separation from the world and not being yoked together with unbelievers, if that's the condition, and it is, it is the condition for a practical blessing, then let's get rid of everything in our life that's offending God. Having, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein ye stand. Maybe you don't get it. If you don't get it, I'm sorry, but after you're done blaming me and telling the Lord that He has saddled you with a hair-lipped pastor, after you do that, then examine yourself to see what you need in the way of self-examination, and confession of sins for God to show you the fullness of this passage. This grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We are not just justified. To just be justified means I'm not going to get killed in the last day. But it's a whole lot better than that. We have a grace that we're standing in, and I just tried to show you a few of its sweetnesses. Your cup should be getting full. Not from me, from the Word of God. But then it says, rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. There should be great joy in the hope of the glory that is coming when we are with God. So a Christian is not just justified. They have peace with God that should permeate their whole lives because there's no more conflict. They have no fear because they're full of peace after they've heard the gospel of peace. Blessing one. Blessing two, the grace wherein they stand to pick whatever passage you want. The fellowship of First John, the great Zion church of the mega church of Hebrews chapter 12, or the communion of God with us in Second Corinthians chapter 6. But now we come... To another one, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Turn over one page to the right, or maybe two, depending on how large your print is. And let me show it to you. One of the aspects of the glory of God that we are hope for. The Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. 
rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. Okay? Let's see. Verse 17, if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. There's glory that's coming. For I, Romans 8, verse 18. If I didn't give you the right chapter, forgive me. Romans 8, 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Remember, rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. There's going to be glory revealed in us because we're going to inherit God and all that God has and is by being a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ of heaven's uncountable, immeasurable assets, virtues, blessings that God has given for His children. Verse 19, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. This is the glory that is coming. This is the event the whole universe moves toward. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Okay, rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. Are you seeing the words pop up here? Just a few chapters later, Paul's going to explanify what he meant in Romans 5, 1 through 5. Verse 21, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious, there it is, glorious liberty of the children of God. We will be taken out of this world and owned before Almighty God in the entire universe that we are His sons and daughters. And all our enemies will be cast into hell. There will be a new heaven and a new earth given to the sons of God. We will inherit God and all the riches of heaven as joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Unbelievable. Unspeakable. Ineffable. How do I describe it? The whole universe is moving toward it. We know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. To wit, here's a phase of adoption we don't have yet, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. Not faith in this passage, it's hope. It is hope, and hope is described in, the, in this verse and the verse that follows as a certain waiting for the glory that's going to be revealed in us as the sons of God. So in Romans chapter 5, when it says rejoicing in hope of the glory of God, what is it talking about? It's talking about being manifested to the entire universe as God's sons and daughters, and that is our hope, and our hope is not a possibility of it coming to pass, but awaiting for its certain fulfillment, and on that certain fulfillment, we should be full of joy. Because if that is even partially true, we should be full of joy, but that is fully true, and we know that with a certainty, we should be rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. Back to Romans chapter 5. I'm not going to proceed. I don't want to waste verses 3 through 5 by covering them too quickly. Let me take two more minutes with rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. We have had three. I hope that if God is merciful to you and to me, a fruit of my influence in your life will be that you will know that in Romans 5, 1 through 5, there are five things 
for the here and now that Jesus Christ purchased for us at the cross that flow from and follow bear justification. That being justified, there are other things following. I know that you love 6 through 11. I know that about you. I know that about me. I love 12 through 19. I know that about you, and I know that about me. But I want you to love 1 through 5, because those are five spiritual blessings that will cause your cup to run over. When we get to 6 through 11, do you know all that it's telling you is how the things of 1 through 5 were purchased? It's back to the legal work of Jesus Christ. But the legal work of Jesus Christ was to bring you those five things in 1 through 5 that we have access to by faith right now. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. What causes us not to rejoice in hope of the glory of God? We get too excited about the things of this life and our eyes are taken off of what is coming in the next life. The things in this life never satisfy, always disappoint, because they never turn out the way we expected or hoped. But there is one hope that will turn out better than you had ever hoped for, because you cannot even imagine, nor have your eyes ever seen, nor have your ears ever heard, the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. Now, that is decent hope. We, we could spend the rest of this year lifting up the hope of glory as high as we could, using every bit of our imagination and every good thing we've ever seen in Scripture or elsewhere, and any good thing we've ever heard in a sermon or elsewhere. And when we got done, I could tell you on the authority of 1 Corinthians 2, which I just rehearsed in your ears, that we fell short. The hope of heaven is that the things there are going to exceed anything you can imagine. Any hope in this world always disappoints. It never measures up because we get too carried away in our fancies of what it's going to look like. That homestead of yours. Anything of any of us. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 17, for our light affliction. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light affliction. Which is but for a moment. Is that true? For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. A It's not just an eternal weight of glory. It's not just an exceeding eternal weight of glory. It's just not a more exceeding eternal weight of glory. It is a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. Light affliction, weight of glory. A moment versus eternity and far more exceeding in between the two. Now that is one wonderful use of the English language. You say, God didn't write it in English. Oh, who do you think wrote it in English? God gave us these words in the English language. And that verse is precious. 
while we look not at the things which are seen, and that's why I said what I said, what causes us not to rejoice in hope of the glory of God? We start looking at the things that are seen. You start looking at your boats. You start looking at your cars. You start looking at your performance appraisals. You start looking at your check stub. You start looking at your bank balance. You start looking at your biceps in the mirror. You start looking at all sorts of ridiculous things in this world, all of which are going to go to vanity and vapor. And they're vapid to think about. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That is the cure to get us back into Romans 5, verses 1 through 3, where we can realize peace with God, the grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We get, if you can see it, it's trash. You aren't even going to be married in heaven. And our relationships with our spouses is precious. But in comparison to heaven, it's trite and trash. Marriage is. That's why it isn't there. It's worthless in heaven. You will not need any companionship in heaven. You've got an innumerable company of angels. Will that satisfy for a while? You've got all the spirits of just men made perfect, and you've got the Lord Jesus Christ. There's just no marriage there. So, and the reason I picked on marriage is I wanted to pick on something precious. Whatever is in your life that you can see is going away. So we need to get our eyes off of things we can see and onto the things that we can't see. That we can't see this way, but that we can see with the eye of faith. Rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. What does Romans mean to you? Here's what it should mean today. Therefore, being justified by faith and not by the works of the law, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You need more help on on the grace wherein you stand? Behold, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appeareth we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't find it making you glad... The problem is not with the gospel. There's a little bit of problem with the speaker. The rest of the problem is with you. I'm sorry, I can't make it more exciting. But I know this, that the Apostle Paul did not try to make it exciting, nor did he try to use eloquence when he presented these things. But he just made them manifest to every man's conscience. And if your conscience is the conscience of a child of God, these are absolutely precious things, and they cause your cup to overflow. It prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. The Lord is your shepherd. He has led you to green pastures and he's put you in front of still water. Drink and be satisfied. Confess your sins and run to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. May the Lord bless it to the salvation of our souls that we may go in and out and continue to find pasture until we realize that exceeding eternal weight of glory in heaven with him. Amen.